Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 21st September 2020, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Garish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott bringing us northern exposure from north of the border. It's just getting worse. Uh, lockdown or no lockdown, it just continues. Well, here's Matt Hancock from uh, over the weekend. Uh, the country faces a tipping point, and we have a choice whether either everybody follows the rules or we'll have to take more measures. Uh, I don't want to see more restrictive measures, but unfortunately, if people don't follow the rules, that's how the virus spreads. Okay, uh, he went on to say, we know so much more about the virus and how it spreads than we did last time. Uh, so the implication is that this is a new time, uh, that it has at some point gone away, uh, which of course it hasn't. Uh, we'll be coming on to a bit more about that in a second. Uh, you must follow the rules. You must follow all of the social distancing rules on all occasions. And that way we can avoid an incredibly difficult lockdown again. Uh, and instead we can get through this until the cavalry comes uh, of the, uh, 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 of the vac vaccine and the mass testing and the treatments that are on the horizon. And he really tripped over his words when he uh, described a vaccine as the cavalry. Uh, but anyway, that was, uh, that was Matt Hancock a day or two ago. Uh, and uh, I'm sure we're all impressed this morning. Uh, then, of course, the Chuckle Brothers uh, came on, uh, gave a live stream this morning covered by all the mainstream media. So Sir Patrick Valance uh, had this to say. Um, apparently, uh, at the moment, we think the epidemic is roughly uh, doubling roughly every seven days. If that continues unabated, then by mid-October, we could end up with 50,000 cases per day. Uh, so Patrick Valance, obviously taking his script from the Neil Ferguson School of uh, Statistics, uh, and uh, he went on to say this, the message is simple, the virus has not changed in ability and propensity to cause disease and to cause deaths. Well, I think that's very good news because based on the number of deaths that were uh, caused by the uh, pandemic in the, in the so-called first wave, uh, it didn't prove to be very uh, deathly at all um, because most of the deaths were caused by the lockdown. So that's gotta be good news. But anyway, the key thing here is, of course, uh, David, welcome to the programme. And uh, what are we talking about? Circuit breaks. Well, yes, this is the latest thing. Do you remember when we were doing uh, money printing to sort the financial crisis? And, and after a couple of rounds of quantitative easing, it became obvious that they, they only had one idea. So they changed its name and it was called Operation Twist, if you remember that, or Operation Screw for most of us. And um, that was, um, yeah, just a rebranding of the same old, same old. Well, we're doing, we're doing this uh, for COVID as well. We have a thing called the circuit break. What, what is that, you think? Uh, well, this is, here we see an official and sensitive uh, piece of uh, information from the Scottish government. Um, it could be either a fixed, standardised two-week period across Scotland where most things shut down, or a rolling circuit break. Uh, reflecting existing half-term holiday dates. So when the schools close down, everything closes down. Uh, so the schools can be closed for half-term. Um, uh, further education uh, is remote learning only. It pretty much is already. Uh, hospitality would be closed, except essential residential. That would be code for asylum seekers slash economic migrants, uh, I guess. Um, general uh, message to stay at home. No entertainment venues, no visitor attractions, no indoor group physical activity, no unregulated children's activities. What? 
no unregulated children's activities, okay? No, no birthday parties, in other words. No playing, no playing in the park. Playing in the park's evil. Uh, no, no indoor live events, no spectators in stadiums. Avoid public transport. Don't know how we're meant to do that if you don't have other means of transport available. Restrictions on care home and hospital visiting, as if that's not in place presently. No personal retail services, hairdressers, beauticians, driving lessons. So there's another section of uh, society is going to be closed down. In places of worship for private worship and reflection only. No meeting to share thoughts of God with, uh, with, with like-minded people. No, that would be bad. So we're closing everything down, but we're trying to leave most of the economy standing because they realize if they do this again, it's just curtains. So yeah, that, that's the plan. And we await for it to be rolled out because we all know this is not depending on evidence. This is depending on policy. David, just to clarify, where did that, um, where did you first see that document? That's been circulating on social media in Scotland. I, I believe it's genuine though. It certainly has all the feel of, of a genuine Scottish uh, government briefing note. Um, and the sort of uh, measures they're talking about are being openly talked about elsewhere. Right. Um, okay. Well, if uh, if we're talking about fifty thousand deaths or so on, if whatever figure Patrick Valence is uh, prepared to talk about, uh, some people, if he's the chief scientific officer, some people are speaking out against him. Uh, and here's more from Carl Hennigan. This was published in the Mail. It's by Carl Hennigan and also Dr. Tom Jefferson from the uh, Center for Evidence-Based Medicine. Uh, and the headline is the only circuit break in the pandemic we need now is from the government's doom mongering scientific advisors who specialize in causing panic and little else. Um, so the male uh, utterly schizophrenic on this issue as usual, because uh, most of the ver their articles are drumming up the fear and so on. And very occasionally they do publish something useful like this article. So let's have a look and see what uh, Carl Hennigan is saying. Uh, first of all, he says this nonsensical term circuit breaker is not the only aspect of the government's rhetoric that needs closer scrutiny uh, because it is the irrational, unscientific use of language that is partly to blame for driving ministers into mistakes. Uh, he says it is unfortunate that Mr. Johnson is surrounded by mediocre scientific advisors. Uh, it is strange and concerning that the government is still relying on mathematical modelers who have a 20 year track record of getting things wrong and he singles out. Uh, Neil Ferguson from Imperial College here, uh, who of course has got a 20 year track record of getting things wrong because the first time he got something spectacularly wrong uh, was the foot and mouth uh, ep pandemic, epidemic, disaster. Uh, and if anybody wants more information on that, uh, our documentary on that is still on the uh, front page of the UK Column website if you want to go and have a look at it. Uh, Professor Hennigan wrote uh, in the week ending September 17th, England's National Influenza Surveillance Report shows that uh, rhinovirus positivity had increased by 23% in seven days. Uh, it is likely that the new school year set this in motion as it does every year. Uh, COVID-2 appears to follow this seasonal pattern, picking up the, in the colder weather, but the death rate so far at least does not appear to be rising. Now this is a very important point, uh, the issue of flu, because let's have a look at the latest uh, Office for National Statistics numbers on mortality and this is for week 36 which is from the 31st of August to the 6th of September. So the total number of deaths uh, was just over seven and a half thousand uh, and compared to the five-year average 
it was about 1,500 uh, fewer, so uh, significantly less on the average in, all, in the first week of uh, September. Uh, if we look at influenza deaths, or at least deaths attributed to influenza, it's around 500 or so. And if we look at the deaths attributed to COVID-19, uh, it was 58. Uh, so this is the reality of the picture of, the, of deaths in the UK for that week. Uh, and the situation hasn't changed massively in the last two weeks. Um, so this is what the government is using to justify claims of 50,000 uh, and so on and continued lockdown and so on. Uh, now, let's look at a BBC graph here uh, because what we have is the BBC headlining this graph, pandemic year death rate highest since 2008. Um, and well, they do show statistics going back to 2001. But if we put a line, for example, the yellow line there is for Wales. If we put a line on that peak, uh, from 2020, uh, we find that uh, in the case of Wales, it's probably the, the highest it's been since 2009, but actually significantly lower than was normal from 2001 until 2009. And probably if we go back uh, to previous, to prior to 2001, we'll find that, uh, that those significantly higher numbers are normal every year, and yet we weren't shutting the country down. I mean, we've been making this point since the very beginning that we never shut the country down uh, on the basis of the types of uh, death statistics and the types of hospitalization statistics that we've seen with COVID-19 in previous years with other things. And if we look at England's numbers, then yes, since 2008, but it's exactly the same situation. Prior to 2008, uh, the uh, death rate was much higher. This is uh, the rate per 100,000 people. Um, it was much higher prior, prior to 2008. So this headline by the BBC, once again, utterly misleading because they imply that that is something serious, Brian. Well, misleading says it might, but with the BBC is part of the government's propaganda network, obviously, and this is deceiving the public. Um, one of the things that we're going to be talking about in a minute is use of language. And uh, Professor, Professor Carl Hennigan there, you quoted saying, um, uns, uh, sorry, irrational, unscientific use of language. And I'm going to say I can understand why he says that, but of course the use of the language is completely rational because the government wants to deceive the public. So it's getting your head into the uh, position where you can see that we are being attacked by our own government, therefore they're going to lie and deceive, twist the meaning of statistics and twist the meaning of language. Okay, so getting back to Carl Hennigan and the mail article there, uh, there might come a time when we need more stringent rules from the pop for the population, but that time is not right now. He said for, for the now, the only uh, circuit break we need uh, is an end to the current cycle of bad data, bad language, and shockingly bad scientific advice. Um, and uh, well, David, uh, that uh, attitude and that approach uh, seems to be echoed by others. Yes, this is uh, Nobel uh, Science winner Professor Levitt of Stanford uh, being reported by Ivor Cummings. There's a bit of video uh, embedded in the Ivor Cummings tweet here. Um, and he, Cummings comments, this is one of the few who called the thing correctly back in February uh, with a population fatality rate of 0 0.04 to 0.05%, uh, largely regard, regardless of lockdown. So this, this, this scientist looked at the figures, looked at the numbers, called it correctly because the evidence was actually there um, but the policy prescription that would come from that 
was no lockdown, no government uh, infringements of our liberties, no government takeover of the economy. That was not a politically acceptable statement. And he comments, um, uh, Professor Levitt comments on, on the nature of the uh, responses he's got. Uh, first of all, he, he, he says that as a group, scientists have failed the younger generation and almost all uh, the science we're hearing from organizations that the World Health Organization was wrong. But they also commented really tellingly, nobody said to me, let me check your numbers. They all just said, stop talking like that. And by they, he means other scientists. So there was an attempt to shut him down, not because he was wrong, not because they'd evidence that showed something else, but because his message was not politically acceptable. Um, and in the meantime, David, we have more and more uh, evidence of the absolute brutality of the continuing lockdown. Well, this is the thing. I, I, we were sent this. You, you, you see, it's, it's, it's gone to the whole of the UK column team uh, from Sharon Taylor. Uh, and this, we're seeing more and more of this, just heartbreaking situations that people are forced to endure. So Sharon writes, my mum is 82, has lost both her legs, her eyesight is bad, and she's going deaf. She hasn't been allowed any physical contact for seven months. Preston's in lockdown, so we can, can't visit, but I go. I, I went with my brother twice. We take her a pie and some fags, which we have to put in a box by the main door. Then we ring her phone so she can hear us. She just wants a day out to Blackpool, so I keep telling her that it's going to be great when we go, yet the odds of her having her day are not good. And she writes, it's inhumane, and she's absolutely correct. It's heartbreaking. And of course, David, this is happening to thousands and thousands of families across the country. The huge distress um, in my own family as two elderly uh, relatives who we can't visit properly at the moment. It was it was difficult enough to visit them uh, before all of the COVID lockdown, but now it's impossible. So essentially, all of these elderly people have been imprisoned by the government. That's the way of looking at it. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, Adding dangers. Yes. Um, well, uh, let's move on to, to universities because obviously this is fresher week for most universities uh, this week. Um, and uh, well, Radio 4 Today program this morning had a bunch of students on and they were very excited about the fact that uh, Radio 4 was seemed to be excited about the fact that none of these uh, freshers were able to take part in a normal freshers week. It was all virtual. Uh, they're all going to have virtual lessons. They, they, they can't associate with anybody outside uh, their particular, if they're, if they're staying in student accommodation, their particular group that they're staying with and so on. Um, but what was really telling, David, just before we bring this article on screen, uh, was that uh, when a direct question was asked, are you going to obey the, the restrictions? The answer came back, don't think so. So uh, it, clearly, clearly students uh, not going to accept it. Uh, but uh, here's the Press and Journal from Scotland University staff anger over plans for unnecessary physical presence on campus. Yes, frustrated university staff have hit out an unnecessary plans for them to return to campus amid the pandemic. Last week's department's heads at Robert Gordon University were told to ensure that areas have at least some members of staff on site every day. And oh, that's not going down well with the university professors because here you see a thing, right? The, the students, they're okay. They can read a graph. They can see that the risk that, uh, that COVID um, puts them under is basically nothing. Um, and they are not buying it. But the university professors, they've been a long time on, on, a, on a government paycheck and that paycheck will keep coming no matter what, or at least that's what they believe. So they don't care about things like the economy or actually working for a living. 
the the difference between that attitude and and those in small businesses who are desperate to reopen is very striking. And but what's going on with teachers then? Well, teachers are being patronised. Uh, it would seem this is a letter that went out from uh, Maureen uh, McKenna. Uh, she's head of education in uh, Glasgow City Council, and it's it's quite a letter. It reads, uh, "Colleagues, this week has been a, there has been sorry this week has seen an extraordinary number of cases where teachers have tested positive for COVID nineteen. The evidence coming in from schools shows that teachers are in the main physically distancing from children." very effectively, oh that's good, uh, with some very understandable exceptions. However, astoundingly, we have repeated examples where the adults are not physically distancing from each other in staff rooms and at meetings. There's evidence of transmission between adults in some cases. This has resulted in a ridiculous number of teachers and support staff being sent home to self-isolate for 14 days. We have had to move teachers from other schools to provide cover for senior managers. Uh, or senior managers are now class committed, or we've had to bring in high numbers of supply staff. Our budget is unable to sustain this, and we may have to take some very difficult actions. Do you know the threat? Very difficult actions around the budget later in the year. Can I ask you to review your risk assessments, etc.? So yes, it's it's ridiculous the, the 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 way the teachers are behaving. Now the teachers did not like this, uh, and the EIS actually gave a very the, the teachers union in Scotland gave a very uh, effective response that this is really not the way to be uh, talking to uh, highly trained professional people. Um, but it shows the, it shows the attitude. The example there is she, she's, she's treating the teachers as though they were infants and telling them off. And it shows you the mindset. And it also shows you that they're dealing with the effects of their own policy, right? Because if someone's got, if someone tests positive, everyone who's had contact is away for 14 days. So their own policies, which hugely over overestimate the risk, are causing massive disruption. It's the policies that's the problem, but who gets the blame? The teachers in the classroom or staff room. Yeah, well, that's the easy route, isn't it? You blame the teachers, um, but we're seeing all of these ridiculous policies pushed through the public sector. And of course, people are desperate to be in there and keep keep their jobs, keep the paycheck coming in. Um, well, Peter Hitchens has struck again. Uh, this time he's saying, can we just put these parmad clowns of the Johnson Junta uh, in a nice rest home? He says, months ago, I predicted that we would all come to hate the narrow, bossed about new life that the government wants us to, fo uh, to force us to live. I was wrong. Most people have far too readily accepted limits to their lives. Uh, which the world's tyrannies would once have hesitated to impose on their citizens. Well, have you had enough yet? Because the Johnson Junta has only one tool in its box, and that tool is restriction. The aim, total suppression of a coronavirus, well, which he goes on to say has never actually been done before at any time in history. Uh, but it now looks like this will go on forever unless we somehow lead these people away from to secluded rest homes where kindly nurses can indulge their wild par fantasies with soothing, soothing repetitions of yes, dear, cold compress, compresses and cups of Ovaltine. It's certainly increasingly dangerous for John, the Johnson Junta to be out and about. Uh, and it... It, indeed it is, David, but uh, Hitchens hits it again. Well, yes, I mean, he, he is, um, 
I think as well as saying that the response from the, the, the public at large has been disappointing, which is, which is true, there's been far too much exception or accepting of, of tyranny and of horrible restrictions on our, on our private lives and freedoms. Um, but there is also much more sign of pushback from the public, of resistance, of not taking it anymore. Um, and I think that's only going to be travelling in that direction from here on in. Uh, and another name, Sir, Sir Graham Brady. Yes, um, he accuses uh, Boris Johnson of ruling by decree uh, and of treating the public like children, this uh, comment again, uh, during coronavirus. Um, and the senior Tories of the 1922 Backbench Committee are uh, demanding uh, that they need um, to start seeing votes going through uh, the House of Commons about these restrictions on our liberty. Um, uh, rather than just further decrees and rules and regulations being passed by uh, executive power or um, uh, administrative um, methods. Um, now, uh, now, on the question of statistics, uh, here's uh, lockdown skeptics, and the headline is uh, Lies, Damned Lies and Health Statistics, a Deadly Danger of False Positives. Yes, the, the, this is an excellent article, quite a long article, but very good uh, by Dr. Michael Yeadon. Now, this was also commented on um, uh, in the Julia Hartley Brewer program. Oh, you've got that there. Yes, where she 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 interviewed um, Matt Hancock, I think it was, uh, who who seemed to think she asked him what the what the false positive rate, and he said, "Oh, it's less than one percent." And when she pointed out that less than one percent would still account for ninety one percent of all the actual positive results. He didn't seem to understand this, and he was made to look a bit of a fool. Now, Lockdown Skeptics um, article, it, it, they say in closing um, that, uh, that in 40 years alone, the UK has had seven official epidemics, um, and the country would really been open, have been open if it was shut down every time. And the author uh, explains here, uh, I've detailed how a hopelessly performing diagnostic test has been and continues to be used not for the diagnosis of disease, but it seems solely to create fear. And this is a, a, a vital point to understand. The test is flawed and the result is, is terrorising the population. And he continues here, uh, this misuse of power must cease. Uh, all, the, uh, <clears throat> all the above costs are on the ledger too. When the weighing up when weighing up the residual risks to society from COVID-19 and the appropriate actions to take, if any. Whatever else happens, the test used in Pillar 2 must be immediately withdrawn as it provides no useful information. In the absence of a vastly inflated case numbers uh, arising from this test, the pandemic would be seen and felt to be almost over. That is true. And it's interesting that that gentleman for six years, I think it was, was working for Feutzer. So we've got somebody who many people would say, oh, he's part of the bad guys because he's working amongst the pharmaceutical companies. But actually, on this occasion, he stood up, he's put his head well out of the trenches to warn about what's going on. And I, and I think um, that there's a good message here that uh, we've got to watch what people say, and what they do because there are many people in the system who are capable of actually coming out and speaking up on the right side. Um, now, David, uh, you've got a tweet here from uh, someone uh, talking about masks. Yes, now this is, this is German, it's auto-translate. I'm sure Alex will not be happy with the translation, but never mind. Um, so 
this German organization commissioned a, a, a laboratory to examine a commercially available mask. The mask was previously worn by a child in school for eight hours. The examination results, 82 bacterial colonies and four mold colonies. Now, we have asked repeatedly the Scottish government and the UK government for their quantitative medical risk assessment on mask wearing. We're taking every child in the country and forcing them to run around with bacterial and fungal colonies being held next to the mouth and nose. There must be a risk, but it's not being assessed. And what's it preventing? What harm is it preventing? No one's tried to quantify any of this because we've asked and asked and asked and there is no risk assessment. No one's tried to weigh up the risks. To me, this seems very, very concerning. Are we going to be dealing with a lot of illness and disease caused by mask wearing soon? Uh, yeah, I mean, David, the, the bottom line here is that, that just about every government policy area where it suits them, the precautionary principle is applied. And certain policy areas where it, the precautionary principle might be embarrassing or, you know, it just gets forgotten about very, very quickly. Um, it's 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 obvious, really, what their attitude is towards this. They only apply the precautionary principle when it's a, to their benefit. Yeah, when it's in their best interest and to apply precautionary principle for mask wearing would actually undermine the objective. That's what the problem is. Um, well, what, what's happening at the moment, um, what's happening at the moment is the government is attacking the public and UK column, I think, has nearly been alone in warning and warning about how the government is going about this psychological attack. And the document Mindspace we've put on screen many times, but we want to say today for our viewers and listeners that if you have not read this document, you need to. You can find it by simply putting Mindspace mindspace.pdf into a search engine and the document will come up. This is the blueprint for how the government says it is able to change the way we think and behave. It's an immensely important document. Encourage you to read it. But today we just wanted to highlight simple things that we can see going on. We know that government is using applied behavioural psychology to affect the way we behave and respond, and that's certainly the case in COVID. They are using nudging. Well, that's just a nice little word to cover applied behavioural psychology. They are reframing the way people think. They are changing our behaviour. They're sensitising people. Now, in a minute, we're going to be talking about the behaviour of the police. And it's clear that the police have become very sensitive to how they deal with some people. So some they're very careful of, some they're rather brutal towards, but this is a change in their sensitivity. Some of the police and public service are being desensitised, so they no longer have normal human emotions. And we're seeing a massive control of language. That's already come up in the news today. Um, and uh, fear has already come up in the news today. Now, somebody who was speaking to me about all this used a tremendous phrase, which was malicious malware. The government is using malicious malware on the public, and they're certainly into psychic driving. You can have a look at that on the internet, and you'll find early experiments of plugging people into headphones and playing the same words over and over 
into their minds for hours on end. But of course, the government does it in a rather different way now. So here's a, a little example of psychic driving, hands, face, space. It only takes two seconds to make space and it helps save lives. And remember, it's still important. Stay alert, control the virus, save lives. So that is a mantra that is applied behavioral psychology where the government is drilling its false message into people's minds. But we've got applied behavioral psychology coming through other routes. And a big thank you to one of our viewers who said to me, have a look at these exchanges on social media, which are being carried out by people apparently on duty in the police and the military. So here we've got Warrant Officer Sarah Catterall, REF. She says it's a small issue compared to mental health. That was an earlier part of the, um, the uh, Twitter um, line. But in breaking down toxic ma masculinity surrounding language is another step to breaking down stigma. So here is the REF. They're not defending the skies, but they're involved in breaking down what they call toxic masculinity. I wonder if that toxic masculinity, David, was the very masculinity that helped defend the country during the Battle of Britain. I don't know what you respond to that before we move on. No, oh, I think it was exactly the sort of, I mean, some of these people were Australian, goodness sake, you know, it was, there was toxic masculinity all over the place. Poles, Scots, English, they were all toxic. Uh, they didn't they do well. They did well. So this is the lady. People can go to her Twitter page and, and uh, read all about her. But she's Command Senior Enlisted Leader at NATO Aircom, RAF Diversity Ally, Ally sorry, Gender Advisor, promotes enlisted development and well-being, promotes diversity, diversity and inclusion. So what is really going on here? Well, we're clearly attacking men, and presumably that means men in the military. We're feminising the military. This is a political agenda which has been brought in, certainly not debated in Parliament. Um, now, we've got a police lady, um, chief superintendent, not stop and search, but I'm trying to do some work around unconscious bias in custody particularly around authorization of strip searches, would be interested in any work support you're doing, which we could be involved in. So this is a senior police officer, a chief superintendent, but she's using the internet and social media in order to carry out more work in diversity. And here she is in her glorious colour. She works with Yorkshire Police, Bedfordshire Police and one other, um, or Cambridge, there we are, chair of Hertfordshire Police Superintendents Association, and yet she's carrying out all of this quasi pseudo scientific policy, which she believes is gonna help policing. And if you're not up with it, what you need to get into and encourage our audience uh, today to look up intersectionality, because this is the uh, pecking order of who is most deprived in society. So, of course, white middle-aged men are at the bottom of the pile. They would be overtaken by a woman. If the woman was black, that would overtake a white woman. If the uh, black lady was disabled, that would put her in a special position. I'm not being cynical. I'm not taking the mickey about any part of uh, society. I'm talking about what it is that our police are now peddling. And if we want to know what's inside her mind, this is also part of her Twitter page. Uh, my five things that make me happy in no particular order are horses, chocolate, 
walks outdoor, visiting historic places. And my family, interesting, that comes last. No particular order, but her family come last. And then here, um, she's got ways of managing her mental health during this difficult time, walking in the sun, watching the Harry Potter films again. This, Mike, this is a 13-year-old girl talking to her friends, and yet this is a superintendent police talking about this quasi-social political policy. This is the danger to the country. Yeah, you're talking her mental age there, I presume. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. Um, we're going on with um, another Twitter um, organization called We Cops, and this is police, senior police officers talking about how they are changing policy in the police. And of course, once again, here you see intersectionality being talked about. If you'd like to do some work on that yourself, this is one definition, the complex cumulative way in which the effects of multiple forms of discrimination, such as racism, sexism, and cl classism, combine, overlap, or intersect, especially in the experience of marginalized individuals or groups. And it then goes on to say that a lady called Crenshaw introduced the theory of intersectionality, the idea that when it comes to thinking about how inequalities persist, categories like gender, race, and class are best understood as overlapping and mutually constructive. Now, what's interesting about this lady she is influencing police and military policy in the UK, but actually it's all theory and it says so in the definition. So she's a leading scholar of critical race theory. David, this is very, very dangerous and you're going to give us a little bit more on this yourself. But we have now got major public sector institutions, the military, the police, the NHS that are in utter chaos as a result of this sort of quasi-scientific policy being introduced. And the fact it is introduced is deliberate. This is not an accident because we can show successive governments bringing in this policy. And of course, uh, we've got Boris Johnson now using this policy coupled with COVID to achieve a, a complete lockdown. Now, Critical race theory. The race has been thrown in there because it's just one of the things, this critical insert word theory. The, the key thing to understand is you're dealing with critical theory. That comes from postmodernism, the Frankfurt School, um, and, and cultural Marxism. If you look at the people who originated critical theory, what they did and what they thought, uh, they didn't think there was any such thing as right and wrong, there was only power. Um, they, they, uh, on a personal level, they often live, uh, live very abusive lives um, and uh, with, with many people, including in some cases children, being harmed by their own, their own practices. And they, they made um, a, a philosophy out of uh, believing that there was no such thing as right and wrong. You couldn't tell truth under any circumstances. That is what that lady is promoting that is where the ideas come from and that is what's now driving our police force if you look at how the police force behave they don't seem to know what's right and wrong anymore that is no accident because the very theory that's driving their education denies the existence of right and wrong indeed so take us into diversity in the royal navy 
Ah, right. So this this is I I just love this little clip from the Royal Navy. This 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 uh, advert here. So here we've got uh, diversity and inclusion, unleashing the power of the dark side. No, that's not what it says. Unleashing the power of diversity. Now, I don't actually understand what the power of diversity means. I don't actually think that means anything, really. Uh, they show a very attractive uh, young recruit from HMS Drake, extremely photogenic, and I'm, I'm sure she'll make a, a, a she'll be a real asset to to whatever team she's in. But the colour of her skin should not be the defining characteristic here. Yet it is. The Royal Navy is making the colour of this woman's skin the reason for employing her. This is very very strange. Now. Um, but this has been driven by a management system and express reports that here is the ministry of defense has more experts and more pc experts than it has warships uh revelations fall news that the ministry is seeking to appoint diversity and inclusion director on a hundred and ten thousand pounds a year position more than is paid to an army colonel who commands a battalion of 800 soldiers so you can be responsible for the lives of 800 men but it's not as important as diversity and inclusion. Uh, asked by MP Neil O'Brien for the number of civil servants who have the words diversity and equality in their job title, Veterans Minister Johnny Mercer told Parliament there were 44 civil servants in the MOD and the executive agencies who fitted the bill. An MOD spokesman says defence is at its best when it's diverse. Again, I don't understand what that means. We might discuss that. Whilst we recognise there's a long way to go, our appointment of these diversity and equality officers shows that we are moving beyond platitudes and putting our words into action. Now, the Express might be viewing this as PC gone mad. It's not that. What these are, are political commissars. This is political control officers being embedded into the military to make sure that nobody who thinks in a way which is, which, Brian, you would recognise as normal in the 1980s, no one who thinks that way will get promoted. You must comply with the new political dogma. You must comply with the new religion or you are finished. And these political commissars are being embedded to monitor and make sure that, this, that the senior officers within the military do as they are told. I totally agree with that. And... Uh... This, this agenda is spread out across the public sector. This is the Trojan horse. What's the military up to, Mike? Uh, well, aside from, I'm not quite sure whether the Russians should be afraid of this, of course, because increasingly uh, the military is not going to be capable, and particularly the Navy uh, is not going to be capable of, uh, of fighting any kind of conflict. But, uh, well, here's uh, NATO in the, the Black Sea. This is over the summer, uh, but it was the... the they only were discussing it today. So uh, NATO forces together with personnel from partner countries have been training on the Black Sea as part of NATO's ongoing commitment to scare the Russian, no, to regional stability. Uh, recently, two maritime exercises were held. The first breeze, exercise breeze, was organised by Bulgaria and took place off its coast. Uh, it was aimed to improve operational readiness. Uh, the second sea breeze uh, was co-hosted by the United States and partner country Ukraine and conducted off the coast of Ukraine. Uh, so that was going on with NATO. And then uh, at the moment, in fact, it starts tomorrow, uh, the, uh, the, the UK's parachute regiment, uh, fresh from working with or taking commands from EU4, 
uh, is now heading over to uh, take part in exercise joint endeavor in Ukraine, uh, building on the strong relationship developed between the two nations armed forces in recent years. This exercise provides both na nations, UK and Ukraine, uh, with vital experience of deploying rapidly from air to land to counter threats. As the UK's global response force, the powers of 16 Air Assault Brigade are able to deploy worldwide at short notice. And alongside uh, troops from the Ukraine Airborne Forces, uh, they are being par parachuted into Ukraine from, eight, from 600 feet from C-130 Hercules transport aircraft, uh, which uh, had flown directly from RAF Bryce Norton in Oxfordshire and taking part in this exercise uh, over the next few days. Um, so, uh, uh, well, should the Russians be scared? Uh, well, I think they should be, and quite rightly annoyed, Mike, because these exercises are continually pushing towards the Russian borders. And if we had the same Russian exercises that close to UK, uh, we'd see a, a, a huge uh, panic going on, as we do if a ship transits the channel. Um, but I want to come back to this subject of whilst we say that the military are doing the job, of course, Britain's military absolutely cut to the bone and the cuts are still coming. So the capability is reducing and reducing, although the aggressive rhetoric by the government increases. Let's come back to the policy. And a few days ago, we reminded people that, of course, when Tony Blair was in power with John Prescott as the deputy prime minister, in came the Trojan horse of common purpose, which was the vehicle used to select and reframe people with the new language that David Scott has just been talking about. So let's put in the office of the Deputy Prime Minister. That was given to John Prescott out of nowhere. In came Common Purpose, working from that office. And of course, with the support of the banks and the hedge funds and the global co uh, corporations, we had the policy, a new policy put through to the civil service. But of course, the public didn't see it because they weren't told. And the illusion put out by Common Purpose was that it was just a charity for altruistic leaders and the common good. Well, let's come forward to 2020. And we showed this diagram the other day, but let's reinforce it. We've got a government dis being described now as fascist. We could discuss that particular thing, but we know that it's a very dictatorial government. Uh, we've now got the department for the prime minister. and We've got a collaboration hub and that is being supported by the same money and the global corporations, but also by the third sector. That's common purpose, that's charities, that th that's think tanks. And basically the new policy, which is now ripping the country apart, is coming out of this um, uh, central hub into the civil service. But of course, the public can't see principally at the moment by the fact that we've got the coronavirus has now just completely acted as the smokescreen. But while COVID is going on, all of this policy is being driven through the systems increasingly quickly. So it's, it's understanding that while the government is keeping us occupied with the fear about COVID, it's introducing us to lockdown to the idea the government snaps his fingers and we're going to be locked up in our houses. But watch what other policy is coming through to do with the police, the military, health, schools. It's all changing for the so-called new normal.
Uh, don't worry, Brian, as we'll discuss in a few minutes, we're all becoming much more resilient, so it'll be fine. Well, true. Uh, now, if you like what the column does and you'd like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community. There are options to help us out there and your help very much needed and appreciated. Uh, and David, uh, the Northern Exposure YouTube channel uh, continues to grow. Yes, it's been uh, it's been a busy week uh, on on that particular channel. Uh, we've, we've we've launched three videos. The first one here is uh, a, a, a guest appearance that Alex Thompson and I did uh, with Crowdsource of Truth and um, uh, with I am John Cullen, and it was a, a discussion of uh, COVID uh, and influenza statistics and what they are actually showing uh, in contrast with what the government message is. A fascinating two-hour-long discussion. We've had huge amounts of very, very positive feedback about this. Uh, the second uh, interview here is 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 with uh, a young lady called Charlie May. Um, she found uh, uh, her daughter had been uh, injected when at school, uh, not only without uh, the mother's permission, but actually expressly against uh, the mother's the mother's instructions. Um, and uh, she, she's describing the reaction to that as she starts to as she started to complain to the school and the health service, um, and that's a, a real wake up call for what's actually happening to our children uh, when they're at school and the risks that that you run when your child goes to school if those vaccinations been given on any given day. Uh, and the third one here is uh, from uh, an interview with uh, Dan at uh, Police Abusing Powers, and we explore many aspects of, of the behaviour of the police and other people in authority, and how uh, the, the, the members, how members of the public should react to uh, oppressive actions from the police, what's likely to, to be done to them, and uh, what the law is, and uh, how, to, how to push back in a, in a lawful manner. Um, David, you're doing very well. They're quite prolific. Now, we are setting up a Northern Exposure section on the website. We couldn't do that until there was uh, content to put on that, but uh, very quickly that content is arriving. Yes, yes, you'll, you'll, you'll need to pull your finger out, mate. Yeah, okay. And, and we'll also stress that, of course, we're only able to do some of these things because many other people are out there taking action reporting themselves so if that includes you it's uh, it's absolutely brilliant keep pushing keep doing the work so trafalgar square david we've got some film clips um, of the interaction on so i'm losing track of my days now saturday, saturday. Um, and very interesting because many people saying the police were being particularly aggressive and brutal uh, i've also watched some film clips where uh, members of that crowd were clearly antagonizing the police and being quite threatening um, but we got three clips and we just played through the first one and perhaps you'd like to comment yes so this this one here is taken um uh, the, the 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 event is already well on right so it's, it's a winding down um and here we see a huge um uh assembly of of police officers clad in full riot gear uh, rows and rows of them um preparing for a charge now if you look in the other direction they're not charging into anything there's no one being violent there's no one being aggressive there's no one being anything in fact there's no one really in front of them so this is a decision made at high level that they're going to cause trouble right this is not 
a response to trouble that's in front of them. You see a man here speaking his mind to them, but he's being peaceful. He is using words and off they go. So this is a huge division of police here. Charge out, all masked and all helmeted. Um, charge into the crowd. Um, and but there, the doesn't crowd seem to, there doesn't seem to be too many people left in the crowd by this stage. Well, this is a side street. There was still a fair number further up towards the, the main part of Trafalgar Square. So th this was a, a, an intervention. It, it stands in stark contrast to the way that uh, policing happens at, say, a BLM rally or an Extinction Rebellion rally. Um, so one of the things we're seeing here is politicised policing. If you stand up and you say you want to change the country, um, that's okay. We'll tolerate that. If you say we want to change the world, we need we need authoritarian government to, to control everything we do. We'll tolerate that. If you stand up, say no, no, no. We just we just want to be British. We want to be free. We want to have our ancient freedoms back. Uh, then then it gets very much rougher. Yeah, now, this was this 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 thing that's now playing here. This is another clip where it is right at the end. So this this, this square by this point is very sparsely populated. The protesters are all making their way home. One man gets jumped on by several police. Now, he's not seen to do anything. We don't know. He maybe said something. I don't know what the decision is, but they've decided to arrest him. And and the man decides that this is not reasonable. And he, he doesn't uh, allow them to cuff his hands um, initially. And a huge number of police jump on him. Um, the, the, the cuffs are placed on him. By this point, his, his wrists are bleeding. And then they, they start to they start to drag him away after sitting on him. I mean, about five or six police officers sitting on him on the ground for about five minutes. Uh, and then they start to drag him away up the steps. So the next the next clip shows what then happens. Um, so they've, they've got him on the steps and they realize he's no longer conscious. So you see, there's a bit of there's a bit of anxiety there and the crowd are shouting. Um, uh, you know, at, at the police officers, they think they think that the man's in, you know, he's clearly in distress, but they think the police officers may have killed him. And so he's unconscious, and they then say, "Well, we better get the cuffs off." So the cuffs then come off. Um. And the they 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 turn them over and start to try and at least allow him to breathe properly. There's not really anything that you would you would term medical attention. David, this this is a, seems to be a mirror image of the action with the police in in one of the earlier Piers Corbyn um, centred protests, where they first of all pushed a man over, but later he was to collapse, and we ended up with this great mob of police trying to do things. So this this so, so is look, utterly... see, this this is a, this is a young man, right? Uh, he, he's quite slightly built. He's not he's not you know you know hugely powerful. He's an ordinary built, quite slimly built young man, and. Um, he he did nothing more violent than hold his hands in front in front of his chest and refuse to put them behind his back to be cuffed. And th 20, 30, 40 officers could not manage to arrest him without rendering him unconscious. As a, as a, as a police, as an example of policing, I'm sure there are many um, experienced or retired policemen watching this. Um, I don't believe that's the way that would have been handled even five years ago, certainly not ten years ago. This, this, this is. It seems to be 
but incompetent is the one that comes to mind. Well, David, I've got to come back in with the applied behavioural psychology. And this, I think, is the result of police training. Uh, it's what the police are being told. If you are going to get somebody, you're going to go in there with maximum force. You're not going to tolerate anything. You're going to get them on the ground. You're going to get them handcuffed. No nonsense. So the police are being sensitised to dealing with people. And by sensitised, what I mean is they think the member of the public or each member of the public is a threat. They're going to go in. They're going to be very hard, very aggressive. They've been over, uh, overly sensitised by a malicious applied behavioural psychology. So just have a look at these tweets that uh, I was sent through. So this is police comment here. We've got a police commander, John Sutherland. The, the crowd at one point was saying to the police, choose your side. I choose my side. It's with the men and women standing up on the thin blue line, not with the people gathered in crowds, refusing to wear masks, behaving like buffoons. So here you can see his mindset, but I'm also gonna say, and I don't mind if I become unpopular for saying this, that I watched some very aggressive members of the public in that, uh, in that demonstration. They were antagonizing the police. They were antagonizing a couple of them who'd been isolated from their colleagues. And this is not what we want to get the message over to the police that they're being lied to by the government. There's another one here, the brave men and women of the Met Task Force showing incredible restraint against those causing disorder. So the thing, the message we need to remember is that the police are being indoctrinated themselves. And that's the reason we're getting this behavior. And where's it going to go? Well, back to that exchange of Twitter messages that the police were putting to and fro from each other. And this is one that I picked up on from Police Supers. So this is the Association of Police. It's just a few days until this year's super conference focusing on policing from 2020, developing the new normal. Nothing debated in Parliament, but apparently the police are heading for a new normal and they can unleash the sorts of brutality that we've seen in those videos. Um, David, uh, Brian's point is right. Whenever uh, we're in these protests, anybody that is in these protests, it is important to, to not give uh, the police any excuse uh, for trying to suggest that uh, uh, they were justified in their actions. Yes, yes. You, you must remain calm. Uh, you must be lawful. You must be peaceful. And you must try and spend as much time talking to the police officers as human beings. Remember, they're human beings. They will respond, right? They'll, they'll, they'll respond to punch in the face, but they'll also respond to love and compassion and, and, and thought and explanation. And that's what we want to do. Um, uh, it's, it's very important. I, I, I would say that where you get a, a, a a, a mob, and I think that's the right word, of police rushing into a crowd in the way we saw in the first video um, without uh, justification. Um, and you then see tweets about um, uh, buffoons and unruly mobs. Um, these are, of course, lies. Um, uh, and it's very difficult if you find yourself in that position to remain suitably calm. But violence is their weapon. Right? We have other weapons. We have truth. We have humour. Uh, we have cell phones, um, and uh, that's those are the weapons we should use. 
Uh, okay, thank you for that. Now, uh, let's just uh, quickly move on to resilience. Um, so here is uh, a tweet from NHS England Southwest. Uh, lots of people sent this to me this morning. Thank you very much for this. Uh, to be hustle prepared, ensure you have a plan and supplies for 72 hours or more, depending on circumstances. Uh, create a grab bag with key items in case of a sudden evacuation. Um, now, unfortunately, of course, uh, that's what the tweet said. Uh, but, uh, and indeed, uh, if you went looking for that tweet uh, on a, a search engine, um, well, in case of Google, it was still cached on the Google cache. Uh, but, uh, well, they had taken it down by the time uh, we were coming on air. Sorry, that page doesn't exist, says Twitter. Uh, but they weren't alone in this, uh, because here is uh, uh, NHS Kurnow, uh, which is uh, the Clinical Commissioning Group for Cornwall and Isles of Scilly, and they're using exactly the same words to be household prepared, ensure you have a plan and supplies for 72 hours and so on, exactly the same words. It didn't end there. Uh, here's another tweet, this time from Wandsworth Council, also lots of emails about this. A grab bag is a bag full of emergency items in case you need to flee your home immediately without time to pack. Some of the items that are suggested for the bag include a first aid kit, batteries, a whistle and a torch. Uh, but here's the key point, hashtag 30 days, 30 ways UK, hashtag uh, household preparedness. But it wasn't just Wandsworth Council, another council. Here's Richmond Council. A grab bag is a bag full of emergency items in case you need to flee your home immediately without time to pack. Some of the items that are suggested and so on, exactly the same language. So it is clear uh, that uh, this is uh, these tweets and this uh, social media content is coming from a central source. So what is that central source? Well, it is hashtag days, 30 days, 30 ways UK. Here is their website, uh, 30 days, 30 ways UK. Boost your resilience in 30 ways. Uh, and you've got to follow that hashtag. Um, uh, September is prepared this month. So this is why uh, these tweets are appearing. Uh, but nonetheless, lots of people are concerned about these tweets because they're asking, why is the NHS telling us all of a sudden that we've got to be uh, prepared, we've got to have a grab bag, we have to be considering the possibility that we're evacuated or that we have to flee our home uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, Mike, just to interject that this, this is my point from earlier that here we have an organisation, 30 days, 30 ways, not, I don't know, maybe you're about to tell us who they are exactly, but they are the ones driving policy because we're, we're now seeing it, but it hasn't been debated in Westminster. So this is the third sector at work. These are organisations which are being given power by virtue of the funding they get, and they are the ones driving policy. Westminster's gone effectively. Uh, as, as a policy vehicle. Uh, absolutely, so let's just uh, quickly have a look and see what they uh, had to say here. The role of local resilience form forums entails many legal duties, which include assessing local risk, publish local risk registers, uh, maintain emergency plans and inform and communicate with the public. Building resilience has become a buzzword, meaning many things to many people, but that diversity, while perhaps confusing to some, is also a real strength and asset, especially when it comes to proactive preparedness, uh, which concerns everyone. Now, last week, of course, the consultation is now finished, but last week we were talking about this document, the consultation document, changes to human medicine regulations to support the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines. And when you look at this document, um, 
they're talking about amendments on the easing of advertising restrictions, which are not limited to unlicensed vaccines only. It says that means that in relation to medicines advertising, the permitted campaigns could relate to any medicinal product, sorry, use in response to, for example, the suspected or confirmed spread of pathogenic agents, toxins, chemical agents or nuclear radiation. So we're talking about uh, all the problems that might cause, you know, it's all linked. And this comes yeah. back to uh, our friend Bill Gates, if you remember back in May, uh, was talking about uh, good news. Most of the work we're doing to be ready for pandemic two, I call pand this pandemic one, COVID pandemic one, uh, are also the things we need to minimi minimize the threat of bioterrorism. So he was suggesting that the next pandemic could be a bioterrorist based uh, pandemic, but we're getting all this fear coming out of of the need to be resilient and so on. If you want to know more about this, get some background, have a look at the UK Column website, the Resilient Cities Programme, fantastic article from Martin Edwards, another threat to individual liberties. But it's not just in the UK because as Brian was writing in the article BBC Media Action, subversion from broadcasting house to Kazakhstan, one of the roles that BBC Media Action was playing in Kazakhstan and other countries was to push in this notion that people need to be resilient, uh, that uh, governments need to be resilient and local authorities need to be resilient. Resilience is a key globalist policy area. Um, and of course, the way to drive the outcomes for their resilience policy is to drive fear in the population. This has been something which we've seen openly talked about uh, by the government with respect yeah. to the COVID pandemic, but it's always there. And I think, you know, people that are concerned about this, um, the, the way that we deal with this is first, to, as Brian has said already in this program, to recognize that, of course, the enemy here is the government. Yeah, there's no question of this. There's, there's too much evidence. David, we're right on the stops for time, but if uh, um, I know you've got a, a couple of amusing slides to finish on, but just commenting on where we are. We're, we're at war with the government. It isn't the public that have picked the fight. It's the government who are attacking us. It's quite clear. Um, we need to do more work on who is actually driving it because certainly over the last four days talking to people people know something's wrong but they're all floundering around they don't know who the enemy is and i think we got we got some more work to do on that issue yes the ideas are foreign the ideas are internationalist um, the organizations that disseminate these ideas are internationalists the problem we have is that we've lost the ability to resist because we don't, we've we've surrendered our own ideas, and and it's 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 on that intellectual level that we need to start the fight. Okay, now David, let's just uh, let's just end with this then. Yes, so this is a meme of the meme of the week. Uh, I I woman here sitting uh, with a cigarette and a coffee. Uh, she's she's thinking I didn't intend to become a conspiracy theorist, but after I examined all the evidence. It was either that or going back to living a lie. Isn't that true? Yes. And it's in black and white. <laughs> okay, David, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, that's uh, the end of today's news. If you're noticing that the UK column news has extended a bit, it's simply because of the amount of information coming in and the speed at which things are moving. We feel we have to 
continue to report what is happening and explain what's happening we're going to say thank you to everybody who's joined us today and a big thank you for people who've donated and taken subscriptions out the support has been really excellent uh, over the last few weeks so thank you for that and a final comment um, and uh, uh, there was a, a remark to UK com column in our chat box challenging us on one of the points that we've said in the news. But when people who you would label the other side, perhaps they are police, perhaps they're members of the pharmaceutical industry, perhaps they're politicians, when they demonstrate they are starting to do the right things, it's not the time to be attacking them, it's the time to be encouraging them uh, thanking them and supporting them that is how numbers are drawn to our side and if you're on the streets for some sort of protest uh, the people who are inducing the violence are the ones who are playing into the hands of the British state so I'll just leave you with those thoughts but thanks for joining us we'll be back on Wednesday bye-bye bye-bye